Bible reading today is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 19, and it's on page 1183 in the Church Bible if you want to follow it. Lord, may your written word bring life to our bodies today and feed us. Amen. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. This is the word of the Lord. So, should we pray for? Thank you. Thank you so much for um, having me with you today. It's really, really lovely um, to be with you. For those of you who I've not met before, as Steve said, my name's Fee. I am um, an ordinand at St. Melitus College in Liverpool. I've got another year to go. Um, I'm married to Simon, who many of you will know because he works at Mealbrace Science College. And we have two children, Rebecca, who's nine, and she's the organizer in our family, and Josiah, who's just seven, and is either found with his head in a book or up a tree. Generally speaking, whichever one would be least preferable in that moment is the way you could expect to find him. Um, but it's lovely to be joining you for your sermon series on Colossians, and it's such a great book, isn't it? What an absolute treat for you guys. 
It's also got some really nice memories for me. I um, read the book of Colossians with a commentary a couple of years ago when we were on holiday. And so for me, it evokes scenes of sitting outside our tent, um, gazing over the wonderful North Cornish coast, accompanied by the noise of the waves crashing against the rocks, um, and my favourite sound in the whole world, which is the sound of a whistling kettle on a campsite. And you'll notice that I've blotted out the rain in that. That's kind of like, that's all gone from my memory. It's an idyllic scene. Um, But it is actually one that couldn't be further from um, the situation in which Paul wrote this. We could go for the second slide there, please, Cameron. And on to the next one. And now I'm a big fan of a bit of background when we read the Bible. For me, placing it into its context helps me to hear what God is going to be saying to us in our context. Um, So do forgive me if I'm repeating things. Um, But as we know, this letter is almost certainly written by Paul when he was in prison. And the Christian community in Colossae had come into existence during that period of intense missionary activity. Um, And it's actually likely that Paul himself may never have visited the city. Rather, um, he had led a man called Epaphras to faith, who in turn had planted various congregations, including the one in Colossae. Now, because the letter to the Colossians is so closely related to its circumstances, we do need to understand these circumstances a little if we're to understand um, what Paul's saying and, and to effectively apply it. Now, several hundred years before Paul's day, Colossae had been a leading city in Asia Minor. It's located on what was a really key trading route Um, But by the time um, of Jesus, by the time that Paul was writing, um, it had been surpassed in both importance and in power by neighboring towns. And after Epaphras had carried the gospel to Colossae, many, mainly Gentiles, had converted to Christianity. Um, But this letter seems to make it clear that the community was under some kind of attack from false teaching. Um, It's the usual problem with Paul's letters that we need to be some kind of a detective in order to find out what's going on. We need to piece together things from what we read in the letter because Paul never actually describes in Colossians the false teaching that he seems to be addressing. Now, some people believe that this false teaching was some kind of philosophy of the time. Um, Others that it was an attempt to make Gentile converts um, adhere to the Jewish law. We can't be completely sure there's evidence for both. Um, And the passage that we're going to look at today probably suggests the latter, um, suggests that there were um, Jews trying to to encourage these Gentile converts to keep the Jewish law as well. Um, But whilst we don't know exactly what Paul is arguing against, we can be utterly clear of his answer, that all you need is Christ. So will you turn with me to Colossians 2, please, Um, because we're going to go verse by verse through this passage. It's really, really rich with teaching for us 2,000 years later, and it will help you a great deal if you have that open in front of you in your Bibles or if you flash on your phones. How do you do it here? Now, verse 6 and 7, if we can have this. Oh, thank you. It's on the screen there. Verse 6 and 7 are incredible verses. You could kind of have a whole preaching series just based on these two verses. They're amazing. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's just so much in there, and they're incredible verses to read. And I love the way that um, Tom Wright translates them. Um, He says this, Put down healthy roots in him, being built up brick by brick in him, and established strongly in the faith, 
just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love that description of kind of brick by brick. It's such a reminder, isn't it, that we are not the finished article on the day that we come to faith, that our discipleship is our life's work as we keep on growing in Jesus. And that building up isn't without foundation. We must have healthy roots in our Saviour Jesus. Now, these two verses are absolutely crucial to all that Paul is saying in the book of Colossians. Um, The beautiful hymn on the supremacy of Christ that I know you looked at last week in chapter one, it points forwards to these, and these verses underpin everything that is to follow. These verses are a summons to the Colossians and to us to grow in Christ. Once the foundations are laid, the healthy roots are down, then keep building. Once you're rooted, be built up, that image of brick by brick by brick. Don't keep going over the foundations again. Live them out and keep on with that life's work of growing to be more like Jesus, more like the man or the woman that we were created to be when we were made in the image of the triune God at creation. And overflow with thankfulness. We're called, aren't we, as children of God to give thanks in all circumstances. And the fact that Paul, who was writing from prison, can urge this is incredibly humbling and for me certainly leads me to confession for the times when I know I don't. We're called to overflow with thankfulness, whatever the circumstances. And then verse 8 exhorts us, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now there's probably quite a clever bit of wordplay going on here from Paul. The word that he uses for captive in the Greek is syllagogon, which sounds very familiar to synagogue. Um, And this is one of the reasons why many scholars believe that, um, like in Galatia, there were Jewish zealots who were trying to persuade these early Christians that they'd only got half the package with Jesus and they needed to accept the law and be circumcised as well. And Paul goes on in verse 9 to tell us why this is wrong. He says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Christ, who is the incarnate Son of God, brings fullness, brings fellowship with him and freedom. Christ is all we need. He's not just fully human, though he is, and he's not just a man full of God, though he is that too. He is the incarnation. And this utterly upstages any pagan god or emperor who has ever claimed authority for themselves before or after this was written. He is the head over every power and authority. If you're playing top trumps or if you're in the Pokemon gym, he is the ultimate trump card that beats all others. Christ is all-sufficient. Christ is all we need. And this means that there is no need for circumcision or for keeping the law. And that's why Paul talks about these things in the verses that follow. If Christ is head of everything, then Christ is all we need. Circumcision removes just a small piece of flesh, but Paul says this is trivial in comparison with the victory of Christ over the sinful nature. It's not about a piece of skin. It's about an entire way of life. This is life in all its fullness. God cannot do anything greater for people than he has already done for them in Christ. 
Verse 13 tells us that our sins are forgiven. We are alive with Christ. We share in his death and his resurrection. The written code has been cancelled. It has nothing more to say to us. It was nailed onto the cross with Jesus. My favourite verse in the whole Bible is Romans 8, verse 1, that says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. It's just amazing, isn't it? That we're set free from the law, we're set free from the sin and death that it brought because of Jesus Christ. We will never be able to square our accounts with God on our own strength. We know that, don't we? But thanks be to God, Jesus has done it on our behalf. He's cancelled out that code that could do nothing but condemn us, and he has set us free. All we need is Christ. And it gets even better, because in verse 15 it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Um, And this picture that Paul's painting is is probably something like this, of a triumphant general returning from glorious military victory with hundreds of weary and defeated prisoners trailing behind the conquering army in the victory parade. And the glorious paradox of the cross is the fact that while the Romans and Jews both thought for different reasons and for different purposes that they'd stripped Christ of his authority by crucifying him, Actually, God was through the crucifixion of Christ celebrating his triumph over all principalities and all powers. And so this means then, as we go on to verse 16 and the verses that follow, that following particular food laws or religiously keeping sacred times and seasons are no longer necessary because all we need is Christ. Paul, as we know from his other letters, had no problem with people choosing to abstain from certain food or drink if it helped them or if it stopped others from stumbling. But his objection is to it being universally imposed. Those verses 18 to 19 about the philosophy are hard to understand and they aren't words that are a usual part of Paul's vocabulary. Possibly, probably, I think they belong to the visitors who are attempting to impose additional teaching on the Colossian Christians. And Paul's talking here about someone who claims to have had visions from God. And that's really hard, isn't it, when someone says they've heard from God. But I think that's why Paul goes on to talk about unity being so important, that we discern the will of God together. It was lovely to, it's lovely to hear your new vicar being announced, but what really spoke to me in the announcement is um, that, that as, a, as a group who interviewed Peter, that you were unanimous in your choice. God speaks to us together because we are the body of Christ. We can discern his will together. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. And perhaps that, that's why the pride that's mentioned in verse 18 is the key here, um, because it's not about us, it's about Jesus Christ. And therefore, that verse 19 is that marvellous call for unity. And I love this image of the body of Christ, kind of everybody being a different cog that makes the body of Christ work together with Christ as our head. We go robust, brick by brick, as each member or part holds fast to the head of our body, who is Christ. It's from him that we receive the strength and the support that we need, because all we need is Christ. So that was a bit of a a plough through this incredible passage. I've really whizzed through it at great speed, but it's so amazing that I I really wanted to go through it with you. But what does this passage mean um, for us here in Baston Hill 2,000 years after it was first written? And uh, it's incredible, isn't it, that this short letter that, that Paul wrote 
actually has so much to say to us because the Holy Spirit inhabited his words. And firstly, it is a real challenge for us to say, all we need is Christ. And it's even more of a challenge when we remember that Paul wrote this from prison when all he had was Christ. And if we're honest, we sometimes add on extra things that we need. It's not wrong to have those things, but the challenge is to rely on Christ and not on them. So is all we need really Christ? And secondly, if we're honest, for some of us, it's not that we've added extra things. It's not all we need is Christ plus this and plus this and plus this. It's actually that our starting point has stopped being Christ at all. We perhaps, if we could flick onto the next slide, we perhaps invite him to come along for the journey. Sorry, and the next one after that. Sorry, we invite him to come along for the journey rather than him being the central figure. I think sometimes we sort of think, okay, here I go, I'm going to pick up my backpack with Jesus in it, and off we go together, rather than making him the central point. And I notice sometimes that I do this almost without noticing, that my priorities have shifted from where they should be, almost without me realising, and it's time to take stock, that we need to put down healthy roots in Christ and only in Christ. We don't carry him around in our backpack, he is the guide for our life, all we need his Christ. And thirdly, if we're being built up brick by brick in him, then what does this mean for us? Discipleship is not static. It's about growing more and more into the faith to which we were called. So what's the next brick that Jesus is asking you to add? It's an old cliche, isn't it, that most sermons are about telling us to pray more and read the Bible more. And that's probably true, but there's a reason for that, isn't it? Because both of those are crucial for our discipleship. Perhaps you sense that God's asking you to join or to rejoin a small group. Perhaps it would be helpful for you to pray with someone else on a regular basis. Maybe there's a habit that you know isn't healthy, that you need the help of the Holy Spirit to kick if you're to grow in your faith. Perhaps there's a fruit of the Spirit that you know you long to see more of in your life. And for some of us, the challenge from these verses is to be thankful. To have an attitude of gratitude is a really cheesy phrase, but it's such a beautiful thing to see in action, to watch someone who is overflowing with thankfulness for what they have. And I guess that brings us back to where we started, that all we need is Christ. We have the greatest gift that the world has ever known. We have freedom and forgiveness in Christ and a relationship with the creator of the world and the promise of eternal life. Is there really anything else that we need? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word to the Colossian Christians 2,000 years ago. And thank you that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they continue to speak into our lives today. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he is all that we need. Lord, we ask that we will continue to be built up brick by brick in him. Established strongly in the faith, just as we were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who is all that we need. Amen.